Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. People care about celebrity news. People don't care about labor news. The exception to that being celebrity labor news. Lisa Laflamme, fired unjustly, treated unfairly. We got the inside scoop on that story. It was the biggest written story on our website ever, ever. But what about the story of the hundreds of people who worked with Lisa Laflamme at CTV News? also being fired unjustly or treated unfairly or even abusively. Well, I guess we're going to find out how that story does because that is our story today. In the wake of the Laflamme affair, dozens of media workers from CTV News are speaking out about what they consider to be a particularly toxic and, yes, abusive workplace. That might sound familiar, when it comes to uh, stories about the Canadian news industry. But the difference here might be in the level of extremity. You're going to hear today from these CTV news workers, but we also wanted to hear from management. We sent Bell Media a series of questions about the things you're about to hear. We asked them what they had to say about the many accounts of abusive managers yelling at employees, berating employees, bullying employees, We asked about allegations that their HR process is broken, that complaints rarely get addressed. And we asked about accounts from many employees that since massive layoffs at Bell, the remaining workers have been pushed beyond their limits, leading to burnout and errors on the air in news reporting. Bell did not deny any of that. Spokesperson Christy Sullivan said, quote, Bell Media has always taken matters regarding any potential discrimination very seriously, and we are committed to a safe, inclusive, and respectful work environment for all our employees, devoid of any toxic behavior. She said, quote, a third party has been retained to conduct an independent review regarding the work environment at CTV News. 
Upon completion of the review, we will assess the findings and do what may be required in order to ensure a work environment built on respect and where employees can thrive. That's what Bell Media said. Now, let's hear what their employees say. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Daniel Borbe, Justin Brandreth, Dina Walk, Carl von Mierbach, Samantha Matters, Jenna Lair, Michael Jackman, and Wayne. Hi there, I'm Wayne. I'm a semi-retired book publisher, and I live in Winnipeg, and I support Canada Land because I appreciate Canada Land's in-depth coverage and follow-up on important issues. I don't agree with all the analysis, but I want to hear it. The Canada Land shows don't treat every word coming out of the mouths of powerful people as news. So keep up the great work. I'm joined by freelance reporter Sarah Larnick on this one. Sarah, hi. Hi, Jesse. I think, Sarah, that we are both pretty familiar with stories of toxic Canadian media workplaces. Mm -hmm. Sarah, why is this particular story about a allegedly toxic Canadian news workplace worth telling? Well, see, it's different because as much as you come across, you know, colleagues in this industry who will inevitably tell you about their bad experience in newsroom X, Y, or Z, in this case, a group of colleagues came together and created like a master document of 20 people who penned some of the worst stuff that they witnessed at this company particularly on the news channel, that date back years in some cases and like predate even the creation of this newsroom and go back decades. They talk about this toxic work environment. And what makes these stories really difficult to get out a lot of the time is that individuals aren't willing to attach their names to the story because they still work in the industry for the most part, right? And so this story is different for that reason as well, because a woman named Veronica Tkach was actually willing to put her name on the story and willing to do an interview with me. And where did Veronica Tkach work? Veronica Tkach, as well as all of the other people I spoke with for the story, spent at least some of their time, if not all of their time, working in the CTV News Channel newsroom in Toronto. It is pretty rare. I've been covering stories like this for years, and it is pretty rare for somebody to go on the record. Yeah, it's incredibly rare. And what Veronica said about her motivation was that it was in the wake of Lisa Laflamme's dismissal that she thought people would finally take these complaints seriously. And she hoped that by speaking out, by putting her name on it, maybe things would change for the next round of people who work in that newsroom. I saw so many people burn out in my time there because they were given so much work, not enough time to do it. And they weren't getting paid nearly enough and given impossible tasks. And when, when they would go and complain, my boss would say, are you telling me you're not capable of doing the job that you were hired to do? The coverage with Lisa it made me realize that like, it wasn't just me. It made me think like, okay, this is part of a bigger problem and other people are experiencing this. Sarah, if Veronica is speaking out with her name attached, I assume that she has since left the company. Yeah, but not entirely of her own choice. One of the hallmarks of a toxic newsroom is that you string people along on contracts or casual work on a freelance basis for years at a time. And one of the consequences of that is that you don't have the regular job protections. And that's what Veronica ran into when she got pregnant. 
when I had my first baby, which was three, three years ago, um, as soon as I delivered her, I was terminated. They terminated my contract. I, I knew that I didn't have maternity leave. Like they weren't going to pay for maternity leave or anything, but I was working full-time hours and I had been there for like six years. So then when it was time to go back to work after a year, I wrote to my boss and I was like, can I have my job back? Like she couldn't believe that I was asking for my job back. And then they took away my vacation days. They took away my sick days. So I was basically demoted. And then I, when I was pregnant this, a second time, the same thing happened. I was terminated. And so after her second child, she did go and get a job somewhere else. And it's there that she was really able to see how bad things were at CTV. Say to my boss, I'm like, you guys are so nice. Like, it's like, I'm so used to this, like, abusive work environment that I can't like, understand when people aren't, like, nice. <laughs> it's, like, amazing. Sarah, I don't mean to diminish the complaint about what happens when people are strung along for years on contracts. Um, that's a serious problem. It's not unique to CTV. That is something that, unfortunately, is practiced in most parts of our industry. Did Veronica have reasons or explanations beyond that as to why her newsroom was, in her view, toxic? She did, and so did literally everyone else I managed to speak to. It was overwhelming how everyone I spoke with recounted incidences of being yelled at, either themselves or watching other colleagues be yelled at. And when I say yell, I really don't mean like a stern talking to. I mean, people described it as screaming, and tirades were often full of expletives. And so the word abuse was used again and again. One source who worked there for over a decade made sure to say, quote, there's a difference between a hard-ass manager and an abusive one, and at CTV, it was abusive, end quote. For the rest of the individuals I spoke with for this story, they didn't feel comfortable putting their voice to their story because a great deal of them still work in this industry and they were afraid of being recognized. But they did write down their accounts in this document and have had these complaints voiced by Canada Land employees. In a nutshell, CTV is a toxic breeding ground for narcissistic, abusive managers. Narcissistic people who are elevated because of their aggression. Employees are in a constant state of anxiety because of the ticking time bomb surrounding them. If you dare talk back, you're the target of organized venom for months and in some cases years. Imagine an aggressive, high-level producer who believes it's common practice to holler and curse within a foot of someone's face in a room full of people during a live broadcast or in a newsroom. Or a producer who lashes out in a fit of rage at anyone who dares disagree with them, then proceeds to viciously and publicly trash and attack the reputation of anyone who is not in their small circle of allies. And like I said, Veronica Tkach talked about this too. Like working at your desk and it would be quiet and then someone from management would storm out and just start yelling. I'd just be like, why is this happening? And it would just like disrupt the concentration that whatever you are working on. And then you would hear, you know, someone getting yelled at and like seeing someone cry. It was really common to see someone crying at work. Yet another person told me that there's a willow tree behind the building and the staff call it the crying tree. And so this is like where they go when tensions just get too high and they need a good cry. And the person who told me that actually joked that sometimes there's like, a lineup for the crying tree. I mean, what you're describing, I hope people hear it as different than sort of the 
what they might imagine from newsrooms uh, in movies where there's some like lovable but prickly editor who's just yelling that the story needs to be punched up. We're talking about sustained verbal abuse, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, you, you combine that with precarious work, uh, temporary contracts for year after year after year. And I guess it would be safe to say that people tolerated this because they constantly felt like they were under threat of losing their livelihoods, of losing their jobs. It's exactly that. And how it was described was cutthroat. And a lot of people who spoke with me talked about how they were really concerned about how they watched so many young journalists fleeing the industry before they even ever really had a chance to get started. You know, there was intense competition where freelancers were often pitted against each other to get interviews and by extension fight for shifts. Like if a guest would not answer or agree to an interview, it was often held against you. And it put you in a position where you were forced to get people to do interviews, even when they weren't comfortable. This perpetuated a survival of the fittest atmosphere where the most aggressive, quote, manager clones moved up the ladder. It was widely known the weekend shows had better ratings than during the week, even though the weekends were severely understaffed. You either worked 10-hour days or did the work of three people. People were forced to take on an unsustainable amount of work because there was very little staff. People describe being taken advantage of because they thought journalism was important, and so they were treated as if they were lucky to be there. One of the individuals I spoke with was particularly interesting because of all of the people I spoke with, everyone described this inner circle of favorites who were treated better than everyone else, given better opportunities, you know, maybe not yelled at. And the woman I spoke with actually identified herself as being one of those favorites, and Even she eventually realized that she was being taken advantage of, too. My biggest disagreements personally with my superior came when I was offered what I thought was a promotion. The job included longer hours some days and was much more stressful. But I never received a new contract to sign. And when I brought it up, considering I was doing this new role three to four and sometimes five days per week, I was simply told that they didn't have enough contracts for the job I was now doing. I would have to wait until someone in that role quit or was promoted in order to be given that role officially and paid accordingly. That's when I became aware of the contract issues at Bell Media. Simply put, everybody on the news channel team, chase producers, writers, lineup editors, producers, are all doing a job above their pay grade and title. None of them are being paid appropriately or can formally use the title of the job they're literally doing. If you bring it up, nobody does anything about it. Sarah, what else did you hear? The other theme that consistently rang through in every account discussed was bullying. People described it as just a complete acceptance of treating people badly. And so obviously if that happens in direct contact through yelling, it's going to happen through indirect contact. Lots of accounts of bullying and gossip. And there was one story that was especially hard to hear because it was from a former employee who had literally worked there for several decades. I went to my supervisor to tell him a director had berated me over the intercom for no reason. Even the production assistant came down after the show and said how sorry she was for the way he had spoken to me. My supervisor said he was allowed to do that. In my department, we had mailboxes with everyone's name on them. Fuck you was placed over my name. I took a picture of it and took it to the head of operations. Nothing was done except a day or two later when my proper name was placed over the slot. That individual also recalled being told by a superior to fuck off. 
The person eventually did go to HR with a complaint about one of those incidents, and initially she recalls being told that she would have to switch departments, and then eventually she convinced them that she had actually not done anything wrong and her superior was suspended, she says, for a month. That was a single incident that I heard about where HR actually worked how it was kind of supposed to. Others talked about how they had gone to HR and complaints went straight through to their superiors or to the person that the complaint was about, which ended up getting the complainee in trouble. And that is exactly what happened to Veronica to catch. This girl, she was training me to do a new position and she just like yelled at me and was like, are you stupid? And she physically pushed me. She pushed me out of the way. Like I was in like a rolly chair and she got so mad that she pushed me and I was like, oh my God, like who does that? And then the next day she hit my coffee. So I went flying in the air and came crashing down because she was so mad at me. And then I was kind of like, whoa, is this like how we're going to behave? And then other people came to me and said, Veronica, you need to go to HR. Like you need to say something about the way she's treating you. So I did go to HR and it was a dead end. They went back to my boss and then my boss was like, Veronica, were you complaining? Like how, why would you say that stuff about her? And I was just like, oh, okay. So clearly nobody is going to help me out on this. That's just the way it is here. So I just had to shut up and keep going. That really does sound pretty bleak. And the fact that this comes from Bell Media is kind of unique here. They have so successfully associated themselves with mental health through their Let's Talk Day campaign that it's almost like they own the annual day in which we think about mental health, like Bell Let's Talk. The prime minister has endorsed this as sort of like the day in which Canada thinks about mental health. And that's that's a Bell branding exercise. Mm -hmm. I think this is a hypocrisy that hits them really hard not only because they are maybe dealing with mental health issues themselves, watching their colleagues deal with it, they've also seen exactly how extreme it can be. What do you mean? In particular, there was a temp reporter named Aaron Paul. The Trudeau government is moving to right an historic wrong in Canadian history. It became known as the Gay Purge. For a look back at that dark chapter, I bring in CTV's Aaron Paul. Beverly, this went on for decades, as you say, 42 years, in fact, from 1950 to... According to three of my sources, she was struggling with alcoholism and did show up intoxicated at work, at least on one occasion. And... Instead of offering her any kind of support, she was berated by another colleague and sent home. She was later dismissed from her job. And she died in the fall of 2020 at the age of 49. CTV did nothing to help Erin Paul. They knew, and not only did they let her drive home in those conditions, they fired her rather than help her. All of her colleagues were really cautious about talking about her. But it definitely points to how things can escalate and how extreme cases exist, where more support maybe could have made some level of difference. Sarah, we asked Bell Media if all of that is true. Did they end Aaron Paul's employment after she showed up to work intoxicated? Did they fail to offer her any support or treatment at that point or, or, or even a safe ride home? They did not deny any of that. Instead, Bell Media spokesperson Christy Sullivan said this. Quote, we do not comment on matters involving current or former staff members, but can confirm Bell Media is deeply committed to the mental health of our employees and offer unlimited mental health coverage for team members and their immediate family. End quote. Now, we followed up on that and asked if that unlimited mental health coverage is offered to team members after Bell ends their employment, 
And we also asked if that unlimited mental health coverage is still offered to the families of former team members after that team member has died. At the time that we're recording this, we have not yet heard back answers to those questions. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated, and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. So, Jesse, I know since Lisa Laflamme got dismissed from Bell Media, you and I have kind of been going back and forth on this, and you've taken a swing at the business side of this. What did you find out? Well, really, I spoke with Jacob Lawrence, business reporter at the Toronto Star, who I think did the definitive deep dive into what is happening. And he spoke to a lot of people who see the CTV newsroom uh, from a different perspective, from management side and from the C-suite. And he was able to give me a lot of insight as to, I guess, the greater context. Uh, I know that these complaints go back many years, but the more recent context as to why this hit a breaking point when it did. Over the past two years or year and a half, Bell Media has undergone quite a significant downsizing, in part due to new executives who've come into the media division and tried to shake things up. Uh, They saw their advertising and revenue numbers going down during the pandemic, largely due to falling advertising. And in that time, they've tried to boost profitability by laying off, uh, at this point, hundreds of people. It's just so normal, Sarah, to wake up in the morning and read on Twitter that a dozen people have been laid off at Post Media or 60 people have been laid off at Coors. It just happens all the time. So when we read in in recent months that like 210 people just lost their jobs at Bell Media, I mean, it seemed like a larger number than usual, but I don't think what that dry headline really described was just how deep the cuts were and how coldly and mercilessly those layoffs were executed. These cuts were sort of orchestrated from the top down at Bell. Starting in January 2021, the company cut hundreds of positions, um, starting with several uh, high-level executives within the media division, then down to presidents, vice presidents, sort of like the middle managers at Bell Media's news divisions like CTV, CP24, BNN, Bloomberg. And then finally cut sort of the lowest rung of workers, you know, consisting of reporters, editors, digital producers, and, you know, people who work at radio stations operated through Bell's iHeartRadio. This all took place in the matter of weeks. Um, Bell usually works pretty quickly when they're doing this kind of downsizing. And uh, based on conversations I've had with people who used to work at the company, a lot of them told me that they were. Uh, called into Zoom meetings or some kind of virtual meeting 
uh, in late January, early February, at really at the height of the pandemic, uh, and told in you know these 90-second kind of intervals that they were going to lose their jobs. Uh, very little explanation was given other than that the company was going through corporate restructuring. Um, and so it, they had this very swift experience where you know they had a job, had a job, had a job, uh, came into work one morning, and in a matter of about a minute or two, they were laid off. As drastic and as awful as that was for the people who were laid off, it also had really severe implications for the people who were left behind because there was no less content required. Mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, the news keeps going and the number of broadcasts, the number of stories assigned, the amount of work that needed to get done, that stayed the same. And now you've got sort of a traumatized and shell-shocked surviving workforce that has seen just how easily they can be shown the door. And now they have to do, I was told, you know, the jobs of two or three people at the same time. That definitely lines up with what I was hearing from staff, because as full-time staff members are laid off, often casuals are used as supplements to try and backfill for all of that content that still has to be produced. And it meant that their demands were increased. And it meant that, you know, mistakes happen, which means that this doesn't just affect people in the newsroom. It affects the content they're producing. This is what Veronica Tkach said about how mistakes were happening regularly and how they were handled by managers. If I made a mistake, she would make sure that she addressed it in front of everybody. She wanted to humiliate me to make sure that it wasn't just like, oh, you made a mistake, fix it. It won't happen again. It was like loudly in front of a large group of people. She would say, why did this happen, Veronica? And it was like, ah, and it's because I'm doing 12 stories in one hour and I don't have the time. I, don't, I can't go to the bathroom during my shift. <laughs> like, I don't have time to go to the bathroom. I'm so busy. So yes, I made mistakes. And she would just humiliate me, you know, in front of everybody until I just felt like a, like a dog with my tail between my legs, you know, and kind of just like sulk off and like go and cry and take a deep breath and then go back for more, <laughs> for more like abuse. <laughs> I stayed at CTV for far too long. Um, and that I want to like, I don't know, help people who are there now and be like, it doesn't have to be this way. So I guess hearing these workplace accounts made me wonder what had happened and who was responsible for those cuts being made. Well, there is a name and it's not the name that we've shared before. I mean, Sarah, you and I were early reporting on the backstory to Lisa Laflamme's Dismissal. Mm -hmm, by Michael Melling. Yes. Vice President of CTV News, Michael Melling, uh, currently on leave. But our focus on Michael Melling, although accurate, I think gave some cover to Melling's bosses, the men who certainly were aware and signed off on Lisa Laflamme's departure, but who also executed these earlier cuts. And specifically, one guy's name was brought to my attention by Jacob Lawrence. And that is Wade Oosterman. He's the president of Bell Media now, and he's a three-decade veteran of the telecoms industry. He took charge of Bell Media in January 2021, and the layoffs that then ensued, the ones that we're talking about, started within five days of his tenure. He's the one who came into Bell Media earlier in January 2021 and wanted to, uh, you know, quote-unquote, find efficiencies. Sarah, I'm always interested in the culture behind these gatekeepers and power brokers. And uh, I was able to get from Jacob Lawrence a little bit of a sense as to who these guys are, where do they come from, and how do they relate to each other. And if you were to sort of imagine a cliched stereotype of like wealthy telecom titans slapping each other on the back, you wouldn't be far off from the reality of Wade Oosterman 
George Cope, and as it happens, BlackBerry founder Jim Belsilly. Yeah, that's right. This is the small, small world of the telecoms industry in Canada. You have a very confined group of people who grow up in, uh, you know, parts of Ontario just outside the GTA, go on to really control a pretty massive uh, industry in Canada. So, so yeah, Easterman, he grows up with Pope. They play high school basketball together. Um, he hangs out with Jim Balsilli. And him and a bunch of other guys, too, they all go to the University of Western Ontario's Ivy Business School in the 1980s, and they all become pioneers of Canada's sort of nascent uh, wireless communications business at the time. They're kind of, they're in the right place at the right time, and some of them can really sort of see the future, and they see that, uh, you know, in uh, 10, 20 years, cell phones are going to be a big thing, and they want to cash in on this early, Um, you know. From what I've read up on the history of this, the the sort of the visionary of this crew is George Cope, who goes on to become Bell's CEO, and he he really is a, a titan of the telecoms industry. And Cope is surrounded by a bunch of college buddies, essentially, who go on, uh, who sort of follow him through the industry. And Oosterman is one of these people. Um, they go to TELUS together after founding their own little startup that then gets bought by TELUS. So they join TELUS in the late 90s. Um, and then from TELUS, Cope goes to Bell. And shortly after Cope goes to Bell, then Oosterman follows him. And there are a few people who sort of stay in this kind of tight-knit circle for decades. It, it's it's really uh, quite something. So these guys strike it rich very early. Like in their 20s, they get into telecom because they can see the smartphone revolution coming, the cellular phone revolution coming, and they make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Their company is sold for over $6 billion to TELUS. And later, they're all kind of like giving each other jobs at the height of Canada's telecom industry. I find this kind of like background interesting. I think why it's relevant for our conversation about what happens in Canadian news is just that like the world that they know and that they come from and the scale of money that they're used to dealing with couldn't be further from the news business. Or further from the reality of the people that, you know, work the lowest level jobs. Certainly they can't understand what it's like for a Chase producer, but I also think that they don't necessarily have the nuance to understand, you know, news. It's a very particular and strange business. I mean, it's arguably something that cannot be run with the kind of like merciless technocratic control that you might apply to a telecom business. But according to Jacob Lawrence, they saw that as a plus. And when Wade Oosterman was made president of Bell Media, Lawrence believes that Oosterman's sort of alien status in this world of news was considered um, a feature and not a bug. Counterintuitively, this was done on purpose. I think that Bell wanted somebody who was on the outside of media to go in and see if they could bring fresh eyes to a media division that at the time was really going downhill. Whether that was a good choice or not, it depends who you ask. But I think Oosterman, you know, was a longtime ally of George Cope and people sort of at the center of the telecoms business. And they saw this faltering media division that was losing revenue at a time that none of the other divisions in Bell uh, was losing money. And so they wanted somebody who could go in and try to apply whatever magic had worked elsewhere in the company uh, to the media division. Okay, so Oosterman, friends with these guys, but he's good at cost cutting. So that's why he's brought in? 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's it's kind of funny to hear him described as some sort of a mage who has magical powers to get money out of faltering divisions because there's nothing all that magical about being a butcher, you know, like a magician and a butcher. Those are very different skill sets. Uh, these guys were used to divisions that were exploding, you know, like uh, Canadians' reliance on high-speed internet or on smartphones. I mean, if you're providing that, you're in the right place at the right time and not unrelated selling ads against media or selling subscriptions to cable bundles, that is on a downward slope. So what what kind of magic can you really create? I mean, there's really nothing you're going to do that's going to change that decline to an incline. Like, you know, terrestrial television is not coming back stronger than ever. So how do you turn around the financial fortunes of a division like that? So beside just cutting to the bone at CTV, is there another plan ahead? Not that anybody is aware of. I mean... Cutting seems to be like, if, if you can imagine that you've got a business that is losing 10% of its revenue every year, well, what if you could cut your costs by 20% to a short-term investor? And let's remember that Bell BCE, it's a publicly traded stock. Wow, you actually have turned it around, right? You know, the decline is still happening, but the cuts make it seem like you've suddenly found a way to increase profits. And in fact, that did have a positive, perhaps short-term effect on BCE's stock, but it's not a long-term strategy. Cutting your way to profitability is not an easy or necessarily sensible thing to do. Sarah, at some point, there's like nothing left for Oosterman to cut, or there's going to be. And what I wanted to know, and why I think this does matter for people who maybe don't care about whether it's nice to work for a news company in Canada or not, is that this has incredible bearing on what it's like to receive news information in Canada. CTV remains the most popular television news broadcaster. They're a major force. They're one of the biggest news organizations in the country. So what is the vision for that news service? What happens after you've cut everything you can cut? Where do they want to go next with CTV News? You know, the refrain that I've heard sort of most often throughout this reporting is that people at the company do not know what the vision is. Like when you're cutting hundreds of people, what is the plan? What do you see for CTV News and CP24 and BNN Bloomberg further on down the road? Well, and it's worth noting that when we reported on the staff town hall that happened after Lisa Laflamme was dismissed, that was what we heard from staff members then, that they just wanted to understand what the plan was, what came next. And so they asked... And what they really got was a lot of non-answers. This is what VP of News Michael Melling said at the time before he went on leave. In terms of moving forward, we're going to be having a number of small team meetings. In those meetings, we'll be sharing context, things like audience trends, industry trends. Frankly, some things you've never even heard before, some financial data. I want you guys to see the bigger picture. And in those meetings, that's where I want to hear your ideas for the future your thoughts on where we're going, and we will collaborate and map out our future forward together. But I know you, Jesse, and I know you have a theory about what's coming next. What do you think is going on? <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't often get a lot of insight into what the, the the presidents and CEOs of our media organizations are actually thinking. But I do have a theory, and I ran it by Jacob Lawrence, who I think sees this from a, from a business reporter's point of view. And my theory is that, like, we obsess over all these small decisions as to how many chase producers they're assigned or what it's like to work in a newsroom. And that is, like, the gods aren't thinking about that. The gods don't care, especially when media is corporatized to the extent that it is in a corporation like Bell, 
news is a rounding error to a corporation like that. So my theory was that these guys are making money hand over fist with everything else they're doing. Even if everything goes swimmingly well, news is still going to be a sunsetting industry that's never going to be a major moneymaker. And the level of profits that might be drawn from news are not big enough to make these guys excited. They are more focused on news as something that is very public. It can impact their optics. It impacts their brand. It maybe has too much power in their eyes. And the best thing you can do about it from a business perspective from that C-suite CEO's office is spend as little as possible, starve it to the point where it can just barely get by and minimize its power to make trouble. And it has made trouble for them. It's made trouble for them and their brand in the public outcry over Lisa LaFlam's departure. It made trouble for them before when uh, former executive Kevin Krull was caught trying to influence their news reporting. So that was my theory, that they just really don't care and they just want to basically make this as weak and powerless as possible and, and starve it. Not to death, but pretty close. And I asked Jacob Lawrence what he thinks of my little theory. I don't think that's a, a bad theory at all. Um, I, we, I mean, we're not inside the heads of the executives at Bell, but... I think that's entirely reasonable. You know, through the early 2010s, uh, Bell was constantly fighting with the CRTC uh, to show that they should have ownership over CTV news and, you know, these kinds of uh, streaming and distribution rights. Um, we know that it uh, it goes a long ways for a company to uh, have ownership over news and give people the news while they're, you know, doing all the other things that make their media division profitable. So uh, we know that this is certainly a good look for them. And I think there is an element of this that's, that is, as you said, the cost of doing business. I don't know how dedicated they were to sort of meddling in the coverage of the news channel. Uh, I think what they really care about is, is this making us money or not? We've tied this all together, Jesse, like talking to employees about what it's like to work in this workplace. And we've talked to Jacob Lawrence about what it means to people's stock prices. How do you see it fitting together? I don't know, Sarah. I mean, I guess I come away from this feeling like these things are not unrelated. You know, your coverage of the labor realities for CTV workers and Jacob Lawrence's coverage of the business situation at Bell, it's like they, they don't exist in two different countries or two different companies for that matter. I think that the executives at Bell kind of felt like they did. I think that they felt like how much does the public really care who reads the news to them? I think that they were rudely shaken out of that conception. People did care about the human aspect of this. They were able to focus that concern on one person who they felt connected with. But it's no surprise that that person's story is what's shaking all of these other stories out of the trees. I mean, I think the business side of what's happening at Bell popped up when you were talking with people about the labor side. And the labor side and the human side certainly came up when Jacob Lawrence was digging into the business story. I mean, frankly, it it comes across as a terrible place to work. I don't often want to describe newsrooms like that, but the proof is in the fact that me and so many other reporters at other newspapers have been able to report these kinds of stories because so many people at Bell Media, you know, have been willing to speak to us. Like, what does it say about your workplace when you have such little staff loyalty that people are so eager to talk explicitly about their experiences and how low morale is and how, you know, how they've been bleeding staff and how they're facing these constant cuts and higher workloads. Uh, I mean, it, it speaks to the kind of 
workplace that this company has fostered over the past year and a half. It's sort of self-evident. I mean, yeah, that was the gist that I got from speaking to everybody is that, you know, most low-level employees feel overworked, deeply underpaid. Uh, I mean, you know, it's notable that when these layoffs happen, usually there are positions that are then posted for the same jobs that had been cut, but they're advertised at a lower pay scale uh, and with, you know, more job precarity. So, you know, it's this sort of spiral race to the bottom where, um, you know, employees just find themselves with more and more work and fewer, fewer benefits of, of being at the company. And it's the same thing with, you know, middle managers and, and higher ups too. You know, those people also are, you know, while they make more money, they're laid off in seconds, you know, suddenly they don't have a job. You know, that was the nature of the conversations I had with them. And I mean, it, it speaks to a newsroom and a workplace that, I, quite frankly, I think is in crisis right now. That is your Canada land. Out there, like, how about we just do shit? Why do we always have to compare ourselves to Britain for the first hundred years and now compare ourselves to America for the last hundred, you know? Preach, Jay Baruchel, preach. Uh, listen, I've had a bunch of interesting and weird conversations with uh, uh, weird Canadian celebrities over the years. That one is a clip from an interview that I did on stage years ago with Jay Baruchel. If you are a Canada Land supporter, wherever you're a Canada Land supporter, Supercast, Apple, Patreon, wherever, you can listen to that whole interview with Jay Baruchel and also the rest of them. We put together a neat curated playlist of all those celebrity chats, talks with Sarah Pauly, different kids in the hall, others. They are all there waiting for you in a bonus playlist. And if you're not a supporter, but you want to become one and listen to all of that stuff right now, go to canadaland.com slash join. You will get that bonus stuff along with premium versions of this podcast twice a week. Go check it out. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read the emails that you send. We're on Twitter at canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. This episode was reported by Sarah Larniuk and produced with Tristan Capicione. I am your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. Canada Land exists because people support it. They do that by going to canadaland.com slash join, or they just click the link in the show notes. That can be you. It takes minutes. You won't regret it. <laughs>